please stop laughing. This is a very, very serious podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> welcome back, everyone, to Even More Eyes to episode three, our finale of looking at the Lord of the Rings franchise. We did the Fellowship and the Two Towers, and now we are into the Return of the King, the grand finale of this series. Where we left off, Fav had joined us and had joined it with us to some section of... Actually, no, he didn't join it with us to Mordor. He joined it with us to um, Helm's Deep. And uh, he has returned from Helm's Deep and is here now on the podcast. So, <laughs> Hello. Glad to be back. It was just like, I was, just like yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And on the other end is your usual podcast host, James. Um, he, He's not really special anymore because we have Inu James on, on the show. Um, <laughs> don't don't, don't so well, many of these name. things. <laughs> don't we have to fight to determine who's the yeah, no, no. alpha James? No? Yeah, disgusting. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's that's fair. So we're going to do go, do our finale for, um, what's it called? Lord of the Rings. <laughs> the Lord of the, the Rings. <laughs> the Return of the King. Um, I was trying to remember which one we're on, which should be pretty damn obvious, seeing as I said this at the beginning of the podcast. And so, as usual, our nostalgic review, James, give us the backdrop of, you know, how this was for you the first time you saw it. Um, I nearly lost a bladder through the, the length of the time and the buckets of Coca-Cola. <laughs> uh, but it was well worth losing an organ for. It, it was well worth that long way to the bathroom, knowing I'd seen the culmination of many years of, of cinematic, you know, Brilliant. craftsmanship. I soaked in every minute of the movie. You know, I mean, you talking about soaking in minutes of the movie immediately after talking about your blood it just makes me have a very different sort of picture in my brain <laughs> was, it, was there was there a kind of soaking was sort the, of a warm the feeling <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it left you with a warm feeling <laughs> anyway let's stop misbehaving um so um other james yes yeah so uh yes yeah, very similar like uh i thought it was just absolutely fantastic He'd been on this huge journey. It had finally come to this, you know, triumphant conclusion. I think between the two poles of, on the one hand, like some of the most amazing CG battles and so on that yeah. took like Helm's Deep and turned it, you know, put up to 11. And then on the other hand, you had all the stuff with like Frodo and Sam going through the tunnel. And then, of course, the ending, you know, I, I can't. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. You know, tears pouring <laughs> down and stuff like that. You know, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was just very uh, impactful. A, a couple of things even at the time stood out to me as a little bit over the top, which was obviously Legolas taking down the whole elephant. But though it did it did end with a really good like one liner. So to be fair, you could give it its credit. And yeah, then I guess yeah. also the the Army of the Dead did feel a little bit like a you know Deus Ex Machina. But I think by the time you get to the end of the film, all the stuff outside the Black Gate, you know, this real feeling of celebration, all the stuff with the hobbits in the Shire as well, like when they got mm. back off their journey. Yeah, I, I I forgive it for its if you like its successes at the time. Yeah, um, and I, yeah. I remember just walking out thinking, oh my god, like you know, what is going to compare to this? Um, yeah, and then you go yeah. and watch them, and they and they still just pale in comparison. <laughs> so yeah, that that was yeah. my that was my nostalgia. How about you, Ibo? So my nostalgia for this film was 
kind of unusual because I guess maybe I'm desensitized to some things very quickly. So as far as I was concerned, the real battle was in the two towers. Any battle that happened in the Return of the King, I did not care. So <laughs> and I know that's a really weird stance to have as a kid, but honestly, I was just upset that the trees were not back. Like you brought back elephants and you did not bring back the trees. Fuck you. So I didn't care about like the battle sequences at all. They had just ruined my day. What I did care about though was actually the stuff that was happening with Frodo and Sam. I thought that was the stuff that really stayed with me. You know, the whole thing with, you know, Frodo getting kidnapped, the spider, um, Sam fighting that off. That's the stuff that really stayed with me. Even that sequence all the way down to the end, the betrayal by Smeagol, and mm, by the time they get yeah. to the part where like Frodo is supposed to destroy it and you see that he's just as corrupted by it, that's the stuff I remembered. Like, honestly, the battle sequence, all a blur. Like, I didn't care. Like, genuinely did not care. I think I vaguely stopped for the moment when, like, the lady killed that guy with her one liner of, like, you know, I am not a which man king? or some, you know. Oh, cool. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And which was like, okay, cool. Yeah, she really did that, you know. Gatekeep, gaslights, girl boss. Um, but <laughs> like I, but honestly, like because I think at this sequence, at this stage, it was the big grand finale battle. But there was always this sense of that this entire battle, the reality of this, what the story is about, really hinges on what Frodo does with that ring. So every time the battle came, and I was just like, okay, you are just, this is sidetracking from what the main mission statement was from the very beginning. So I just kept. Again, like it wasn't doing much for me, but beyond that, like once the ring was actually destroyed, even that part where like Frodo's finger got bitten off, you know, when they went back to the Shire, I remember all of that. I loved all of that. I loved that part where the four hobbits got the applause from everybody. Mm. You know, that stayed with me. Yeah, battle sequences did not care for them. Sorry, sorry to the CG effects. Sorry to the people who did all of that. <laughs> was literally not my business <laughs> um, so that was honestly how I felt about it at the beginning so now we are going to talk about reflections on it now that we are older and hopefully wiser have you got a feel for like uh, King Fielding who kind of was just so bitter and felt so betrayed in the two towers but he does his courageous last stand yeah. you know rescuing Gondor and you know he doesn't make it but he sees his daughter kind of step up and fill the space that his passed away son left behind you know yeah. I mean was that his daughter or his niece I'm pretty sure it's no, his it's daughter his... no it's his niece ah shame um, on me so yeah but anyway that was actually a really cool scene as well yeah like... the way he's just you know touching swords with all the spears getting yeah. ready to you know charge yeah but even in that scene as well, I think one of the things that really stood out to me was actually the real sense of trepidation. Mm. Because you could see, like, the terror in, like, mm. everyone's eyes. They're like, we are marching into Mordor. Like, mm. these people have fucking dragons. I mean, like... Mm. The Nazgul. Yeah, was... mm. Exactly. And then you have that, and then you have, like, orcs that have been crossbred with, like, goblins. And, mm. you, you know, they, they were fighting some horrible stuff. And then you have the people who came in with the elephants who... It is kind of know, like walking into, like when you know the allies took germany and you start going into the laboratories and like what did you weirdos do what yeah. were you working on yeah and again i guess maybe it does 
you know, fit in with those parallels around like the world wars because I think that the stuff in the Return of the King was really aligned to World War Two because it was so mm-hmm. much bigger, so much grander. You know, you had some of the same old enemies, so many factions, so many alliances, this great evil coming from one end with the stuff that was pouring out of Mordor was actually frightening. And the fact that people like humans and like elves and, you know, a multi-species conflict. Yeah, because like also by the eagles. Yes, (laughs) because if you think about what happened from part one. Mm. And you realize that, like, the dwarves had been decimated completely. Yeah. You know, you realize that, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff happening completely outside the scenes. And we're just looking at the fallouts of all of this stuff. You know, even the, the stuff with Gondor as well, the outer city where Faramir was. Like, that was... That scene with Faramir, like, going in, despite knowing it was basically a suicide mission, but it was like, you know, at least so yeah. that my dad would finally acknowledge yeah. that I'm doing something. That kind of hit me hard, but I'm sorry. I don't know what Farmer's dad's name is. Don't tell me. I don't care. Hmm. He was the, the most dramatic entity I've seen in my entire <laughs> life. Like, I was just like, I was just like, you gave a whole new definition to the term Flaming Queen because like, yeah. what the... <laughs> God, I was like, sir, please, you, you need to calm down. You're being too loud. <laughs> I was like, well, what is all this? <laughs> I mean, there's a literal battle happening outside, and you're having like this. You're having this solemn procession for your son, who isn't dead, by the way, but who you want to engulf in flames with yourself as some grand last act of like, what the hell was that shit? I was like, sir, um. Could you not? <laughs> like, I gotta be honest. Oh. In the entire trilogy, his way of eating tomatoes was the most uncomfortable. Oh my thing. god! Like yeah. that scene was so uncomfortable. <laughs> and then you had who was there? I think that was like people were just there. Like okay, I guess I'll like awkwardly sing this song while you're just like munching on food while there's a literal fucking life or death battle like waging outside but you clearly don't give a rat's ass and then after all that was done like to see him do that procession with his son to go set himself on fire for what? (laughs) (laughs) I was like sir you are going to die anyway you did not need like the theatrics like you didn't need this drama like (laughs) I was was so confused I I actually think uh it's one of the worst pieces of characterization treatment oh my God. From, from from the book. Because Denethor, to be fair, in the book, yes, he's like traumatized by the death of his son, but actually but he they, they they turn him into he is like a hero in the book in a way because he actually does man the defenses. There is this sense that he has been holding out; he's just worn down. And then when mm. you sort of see him in the film, and it, there's that awful first scene with him where he's on the throne, and then and he's like, "Rule of a god is mine!" And, yeah, and you're just, just you're just, just like, oh, like like you know, chill down. And then later on in the film, he's like, "Flee, flee for your lives!" <laughs> just absolutely ridiculous and then like you said Igor I think I think one of the worst things to consider as well is um in the extended cut you do get to see how far like the burning chamber is from when he literally flies up yes and And it's just just ridiculous (laughs) how how fast was he running in flames he must be to then jump off the top it was just it was just so stupid it was so silly and that scene I basically had to pause the like the film and like cry laugh because like this is the funniest thing in the entire trilogy like just seeing him run by his affair just like yeet himself Mm. (laughs) 
but it, again, it's, it's a human torch. But again, I, I, I think it was once again sacrificing other characters to see how heroic Aragorn was, to see how heroic Theoden is. Yeah, and it kind of made Faramir. It kind of gave him context, you know. I know. Yes. And yeah, yeah. 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 It yeah. must be terrible to kind of like, be the one doing all, all the, the hard work, never get acknowledged, and constantly yeah. be in your brother's shadow. Like yeah. I appreciated but, that in terms of like the character, like exposition it did yeah. for like, Faramir. But like, but it's worse than that because there's that awful scene where he's like, Faramir says, uh, "Oh, father, I." You know, you you would wish that Boromir had died and uh, no, sorry, Boromir had lived and I had died, and then and he, he sits like, yeah. there and goes, "I wish that very much." <laughs> yes, I'm, just, I'm just like, I'm what, just like, what is this? Oh. I was like, "You are such a dick," and so, and so the way he died, and here's the thing, right? The fact that he dies like that in the middle of an actual war. Yeah, he wasn't killed by the enemy. He was intense he, narcissism. Exactly, right like there. he basically set himself on fire. Yes. Um. <laughs> yeah. I think you know anything that just gently reminds us that sometimes people are the worst monsters. Yeah. Exhibit A. <laughs> yeah, like that was that, that was that that was how I felt about that character. I just I just couldn't deal. I, I do like a good Mad King though. You know, yeah, someone it, who's yeah, off his true. rocker but still on the throne. That is, some real Caligula shit. Yeah, you know? I mean, then again, that's kind of like a line to I don't know, like King Henry the Eighth or something. Yeah. You know, it's it's that, not like it's not like we haven't had. There's no shorts of the Mad Monarchs. Exactly. We we've seen these people. They are real. I mean, yeah. I think it fit into the uh, again the idea of like renewing the kingdom, and I think yeah. Gandalf has some lines about like oh that they care more for the dead than they do for the living, and the world yeah. not having a sense of like a continuity uh, after yeah. this age. Like nothing's ever gonna like reach the golden age. So fuck it. We're yeah. just gonna watch this great decline, and you just yeah. get the sense that someone like Denethor. He's just sitting out the last like few great years of the city, you know, while it's That's still there. Of, yeah. and, you know. Yeah, that that really is the sense that he gives. I think that little speech by Gandalf kind of was very obviously about what you know Farmer's dad was doing, which was he yes. wasn't really trying. I mean, the way he was depicted in the film wasn't like he was trying to really yeah. do much. I mean, he barked out a bunch of orders sat on his throne while the kingdom still existed and just did whatever he felt like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole thing about, you know, you should have brought the ring back to me as a gift. I was just like, okay, like, first of all, do you all have, like, collective amnesia? Like, this ring hasn't done anything good for anyone. Mm-hmm. So, and secondly, it was basically on Sauron's hand and yeah. that didn't end well. So, I mean, it, it's, I, like, it's almost... Yeah. It, well, I was going to say, it's, it's almost like if society was experiencing a huge downfall in their living standards and the leaders of that society were doing nothing hmm. to help it i mean we don't know really what that feels like in the real world no so. like if yeah. there's some existential <laughs> crisis looming and people just kind of ignoring <laughs> it because you know they didn't want to deal with that yeah I sounds mean, like hard work oh, yeah, sounds only, like hard in work. Mm. only in middle yeah, earth only in middle earth only middle earth we have no Realms idea what fantasy. that feels like yeah I mean that's why it had to be captured like in fiction because none of us can yes. really relate yes um, we can't uh, yeah we can't actually really picture that uh, <laughs> 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 but, um, yeah but beyond the stuff that we said about you know angry kings doing doing the actual most yeah, because in defense of like the ghost plot line, 
I think like okay. if you to talk about like World War Two, they're clearly the nuclear option. Basically. And once Aragon got the one thing he needed, like the one thing on his checklist done, like the absolute minimum that he needed them for, he let them go. Mm. That that like that was showing his like integrity of like, okay, you know, I'm I'm not gonna wield this terrible power, you know. He's like I've, I've you've won this battle. You've given us a lifeline to do our thing. Yeah. Now you can go. No, but like, okay, that was a comparison I didn't think was going to ever show, see the light of day, but it actually makes perfect sense. Like, literally, the Army of the Dead were nukes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I like, thought that the first like, time I watched them. Uh, like, just... you literally can't do anything yeah. back. You can't kill them if You can't kill them, dead. they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they're just there to wipe out everything. Mm. That you know. they that they basically come into contact with and just that yeah pop off those elephants yeah, yeah. they just sort of like but that was really useful for that final battle because they were just fighting this horde yeah. like they did not have the numbers they there is no way they would have done that with the people that they had they no. already lost yeah. but it was just for just yeah. to give Frodo that absolute last chance yeah that absolute last chance and yeah that that was kind of good yeah. also and he he got to the absolute last step like he held out the entire way before he gave in and nobody else I think was written so that they could have got to the last step of dropping the ring in Mm. I do like to think that Sam would have got corrupted in his own way of like oh I can help because I can do this with it do that with it Frodo was the guy who's like no using it means you've already lost Mm. and so he, he just kind of just kept trudging and mm. just got corrupted like anybody would have. That's my opinion. Yeah, but I think even looking at that final scene, right? The fact that like that was the end for like Smeagol. There was that something about that scene where he's like he's literally burning in lava and still trying to save the ring. Yeah. And I was like, that is how far gone you are. Like mm. you are literally in molten rock. Yeah. And your real concern is that this rate, like, you know, it must not hurt the precious. I'm like, what the yeah. fuck, bro? Like, it, it's that unhealthy, the self-destructive obsession. Yeah. That, that people kind of disregard everything except their one goal. It yeah. doesn't matter who you are. I just like how it's that whole thing of evil destroys itself. Yeah, in a sense. But, you know, but it also needs a lot of help to get to oh, that yeah. point. Because... Yeah. Honestly, if it, like I said, if it wasn't for Sam, this plot would not have... Mm, yeah. like, like, Sam rescued Frodo way too many times. Yeah. Like, Sam mm. got him 99% of the way there. Literally, yeah. And um, F- Smeagol accidentally, the, inadvertently, yeah. brought it that last step. Yeah, because imagine if, like, Sam had actually killed Smeagol. Yeah. Like, because... But then he, again, he wouldn't have been able to... He wouldn't have stopped Frodo. He would have been too distraught to actually stop Frodo the moment he Also, it would have been really difficult to stop Frodo, considering that the man was invisible. Yeah, he wouldn't have leapt on him whilst he was invisible, bite his hand off, you know, yeah, exactly. go full yeah. Tyson, yeah. bison in a fight, <laughs> removing appendages, you know. Yeah, it, it, was, it, it was kind of, I don't know, there was just something about that final scene that hits different yeah. this time, because the first time I saw it, and, like, and when Gollum fell into... The thing I was just like, haha. All, all the people <laughs> have been sacrificed. His was kind of. <sighs> it was kind of pathetic, really, yeah. because because when I watched it the first time, I didn't actually really like Smeagol's backstory. Didn't click. 
you know, that mm. he was just like anyone else. And then he found this ring and got corrupted by it. And this was just like a happenstance find. Yeah. It's just because they were fishing. Yeah, that, that's the point. It could have been anybody. It could have, it could have been anyone. Know? And so in a sense, and then the other thing that got contextualized once I saw Smiggle's story was like the schism of, you know, like he had that whole like multiple personality thing, but that was actually one a trauma response yeah. because the first thing he did after he got the ring was that he killed someone probably couldn't live with himself yeah. and so sort of like dissociated the evil side of him and made it yes. like a whole yeah. other thing but then also the fact that he was in isolation for so damn long yeah. that that probably would have driven him mad so you know people being in isolation for so long eventually you know I mean you see like cast away or something where they basically yeah. start talking to themselves and like like talking to something you know so in a sense, like, getting that backstory of Smeagol and everything within the context of the story made him, funny enough, a more sympathetic character because now I kind of got what happened. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, that is actually pretty sad because basically this ring just got into his life and ruined everything. Yeah. Um, when you see it's a choice yeah. that, you know, that he saw the ring, got tempted kill his own friends yeah. straight away for this thing yeah. and become, like, the closest thing Middle Earth has to a heroin addict, you know? Basically, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You kind of just see there's nobody can escape the ring. No, yeah. Nobody could be in proximity without being tainted. Yeah, so considering that, it's kind of impressive what Frodo could do. Because, I mean, yes, I know I mocked him in the last episode and called him a bit of a crybaby, but, <laughs> you know, but still, like, considering what the, the ring does and leaving to people who are in its presence for, like, fra- like minutes, in the end, obviously, it still got to him, but the fact that it took that long yeah. and he was able to withstand it for that long, I suppose... Three that, very long films. Three very freaking long films <laughs> and a very long trip for people who are... Ladder-burstingly long. Exactly. Yes, and yes. What are they, like, three foot something? So he... So they... they their tiny feet can't move very fast yeah. so that was a long ass trip and yeah. he was holding this thing for a long trip while yeah. multiple people were trying to snatch it from him trying to kill him and somehow she managed to you know what I would change my mind on Frodo Frodo did good um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's that yeah. thing of like it's not the, the best warrior or the most <coughs> impressive king that was the hero in this yeah. it's the most modest and humble yeah. entity of all and also like the literally like the tiniest entities because the smallest people in the plot were the hobbits but they were the yes. ones that made yeah. all the difference like one of them had the mental fortitude to hold the ring the entire time the other one had the mental fort- like had the Remember, like, at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, Sam literally bloody nearly drowned. Yeah. Just because Frodo was going to go off and do this whole, like, you know, I don't want anyone else to, like, bear this burden with me. And Sam was just like, bitch, I, you know, yeah. like, where are you going? <laughs> you <know>? and, then, <laughs> and then Sam jumps into the river, like, basically nearly drowns. And then Frodo kind of has to, like, take him with him. But Sam eventually becomes so instrumental. Like, yeah. imagine Frodo could have gotten eaten by that bloody spider. Yeah. Like, th- th- there are so many places where Frodo could have died. Or would have been lost. I mean, like he got kidnapped by the the troll, orcs, but by, yes. by the orcs basically. Mm-hmm. So and then Sam needed to get him out of that as well because he was like yeah. physically weak. So, and like, he takes out three guys doing it too. Exactly. With so, a frying pan, I think. Exactly. At one point. <laughs> and yeah. So that's what I mean by each of those people was kind of instrumental to the plot. Even Merry and Peregrine. Yeah. I think their real sh- moment of shining really was in like part two. By part three, they were still there, but they were kind of split. Each um, of them were in different areas, areas. working towards the same goal. Yeah. And in a way, they were they were still close, even though they didn't realise it. Yeah. Not physically, but in terms of 
making the efforts yeah you know to support one another yeah. i quite like that feeling of unity that you basically nailed it that's kind of what i was getting to in oh so many words like there was this unity despite the distance like they were all doing different things in different places but there was this collective drive towards the same end somehow and it was about the defeat of this great evil that was coming from somewhere else and despite all of them being like relatively small people they actually made the world of difference for instance if it wasn't for peregrine farmer would have died for no damn good reason <laughs> like farmer like would have just been set on fire um we have been fanboys for a long enough time sure. let's let's actually allow james talk because he's supposed to be oh good. yeah god yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, god damn. Uh, yeah no I, I think sort of picking up what you were saying about uh mary and pippin i mean they they sort of come into their own in this film especially pippin yeah. like every everyone's kind of uh development towards taking things a bit more seriously taking on a role in these big wars um yeah but i think that uh skipping to the end a bit what i really really like about this film is that the final you know you could almost see it as a bit of an epilogue where you've got the hobbits returning and that you know i guess i've been following this world war one analogy or allegory and the idea of coming back and actually soldiers that came back from First World War and soldiers that have even come back from wars that have been fought recently oftentimes don't um, uh, you know their traumas aren't really spoken about and so it's quite nice when the four of them kind of looking at each other in acknowledgement of you know we went on did all this stuff and yet we, we, I guess in a sense we saved all these people but they're never going to know about it <laughs> you know, no yeah. one really gives a shit but yeah, at the exactly. same time yeah. I, I think what's really interesting to me watching it again and thinking about you know the roles of Frodo and Sam in this is that for me Frodo represents that person who came back but never left the war if you read um, Primo Levi's book on um, if this is a man which is on the holocaust I mean a person caught up in a horrific circumstance by chance and and uh, he talks at the end of the book about you know never really having left the camps and I yeah. think there's something about that with Frodo. It's the wound. It's yeah, this idea yeah. that he knew he was never going to come back. And yet yeah. Sam, on the converse, represents that person who maybe is capable of healing, is capable yeah. of actually rebuilding his life, which is why I think it's such a beautiful image at the end of the film. When yeah. he's come back, he's got his family, he's got his kid, you know, and so yeah. on. They had this real sort of arc to it about these four young men who I kind of interpret as, I guess, four lucky survivors of the conflict yeah. and obviously Tolkien came through the First World War and yet there still is that sense of survivor's guilt uh, and then lastly I guess with this one we obviously talked about in the last episode with Two Towers it being about like having your back against the wall and, and realising you've got to fight and in this one I guess it was a lot about sacrifice under adversity so there's lots of yeah. scenes where characters are very like you know, fatalistic and, you know, we, we're doing this for a higher purpose, but knowing we're probably going to go to our deaths to do it. And you see that yeah. again with Theoden, you know. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say very quickly, watching the theatrical cut of this, you notice so much is missing. That yes. then it made me think very cynically at the time they wanted people to buy the extended DVD in the December because that's when the extended DVDs were coming out back in 2003 because there's those things that just don't make sense it's like so Saruman is gone completely and then the other thing is in the theatrical cut you have this bit where the Witch King says 
I will break him when it comes to the confrontation with Gandalf. And that never occurs in the theatrical cut, but it does occur in the extended edition. So yeah. it's a bit like, mm, this is a bit, you know, mm, you, you deliberately taking stuff out so that then it can later turn up yeah. in the extended cut. Anyway, that, but, that, but, that was my little bit of cynicism, I but guess. That one is, <laughs> and and uh, that one is to the side, and that one is just Hollywood doing its thing. Um, the thing I wanted to touch on was related to what you said about, like, these people basically being almost parallels or allegories for four young men who went off to a war, survived it in some way, and then returned, but all of them were changed by it. And I think the yes. thing that you mentioned that was really interesting, because I did note it this time when I was watching, was that scene where, like, compare how they were drinking at the beginning of The Fellowship yeah. of the Ring versus at the end of The Return of the King. In The Fellowship of yeah. the Ring, they were young, they were carefree, they had nothing to do. Like, Mary and Pippin were just like, off somewhere getting a drink wherever they could you know chugging one down stealing stuff and running away and in this one it's almost like they didn't even want to they were just like I guess this is what we do when we're home and there's this sort of like sigh that they're just like I guess we're here now but beyond that the changes that happened right and everyone changed in a slightly different way so for instance Mary and Pip actually became a lot more like mature that was the big change that I saw for them. Sam's big change was realizing how easily he could lose everything. Because at the beginning of the fellowship, he was very, like, shy. And he wasn't willing to take any risk or anything. And then going through this entire process and realizing how many times he could have died. If you really think about the finale, after the ring had been dropped in, and then they're lying down on the side of that Mount Doom while they're yeah. surrounded by lava. <laughs> yes. There was no real guarantee that they were going to leave that place. And there was this look that Sam had that, that was just like, this really is the end, isn't it? Yeah. Like, Sam had basically accepted in that moment that yeah. I'm just going to die on the side of this mountain and no one will know. Mm. So by well, the time Sam returns to the village, like, you can see he's an entirely different person. Yes, you know? yes. If you think about it in an almost too nuclear perspective like almost too personal perspective as a story of four hobbits these guys have been through some shit Mm. Frodo went through some shit Mm. you know basically came back without a part of his finger Sam went through some shit you know like Sam went through some shit (laughs) like Sam, Sam, Sam went through some shit I mean fighting orcs at close quarters fighting a giant fucking spider all of those were like frightening life threatening situations like having to walk into Mordor seeing the stuff that was coming out of there with like the dragons being stalked by those guys on the horses like it was just like this never ending danger for someone who was just like this simple minded gardener yeah (laughs) not a warrior like he wasn't a warrior you know like there's this this mild mannered gardener that was too shy to even say hi to the girl he liked I mean going through all this stuff yeah and then Mary and people were basically like as juvenile and as irresponsible as possible, being like, oh, actually, we are on the forefront of a war that determines the fate of Middle-earth. Like, that is, like, going from zero to 4,000 in, like, five seconds. It was insane. So when we got to that final scene and I saw the four of them sitting down, I mean, it just put everything into context. The Shire now looks too small. Yeah. Like, their lives are irreversibly changed. And then I think all four of them had that camaraderie that like no one else knows what we've been through but we can relate 
which is what made that scene when Frodo left extra sad yeah. because it was like a part of them a part of us is going with this like we are losing something that we will never be able to get back we've lost so much already and this was yes. like one of our yeah. comrades in arms who knows what happened and these guys did their best to ensure that the war never got to the Shire. So the people in the Shire literally have no clue what just happened. Well, yeah. Well, and... I, I think as well that I was thinking when I was rewatching it this time, the real villain of the film isn't so much like Sauron or Saruman or, or the orcs and so on. I mean, they're forces of antagonism. But it's kind of the indifference of that old man at the end. Yes. You know, I mean, and it's just simply born of ignorance. But I think it, yeah. it speaks to the level of ignorance that was there in obviously the again i'm connecting it back to first world war and stuff but the mm. ignorance of a public that don't want to look that stuff in the face and yeah. uh, i was kind of thinking that contemptuous look on his face of oh look yeah. what they've been up to you know yeah. without really understanding you know the sacrifices like you said the wounds what, that, that literally, literally and, what they've been psychologically up to. Yeah. yeah um and it, but I, I i was also going to say uh that when you were talking about the shifts and changes in the characters, and obviously we started like the fellowship talking about the so-called races, different you know cultural attitudes yeah. and so on, we were also thinking about Legolas and Gimli, and just yeah. obviously the arc that they have been on at the, as well. And I really loved that moment in the final thing where you know old Gimli says, I, "I never thought I'd die side by side with an elf," and Orlando yeah. says that thing about, "Oh, but what about dying side by side with a friend?" And you can just see yeah. again the journey that those two have taken where yeah. obviously the elves and the dwarves are just so diametrically opposed to each other and yet there's mm. a real loosening of that the longer they've spent with each other. I think what's so great is that coming back to it after you know, however how many years, I mean, I can't even remember the last time I, I watched it before this, um, mm. just to find that so much of it is still intact in a way and actually that obviously... We were all talking about as kids seeing it as this great fantasy epic, you know, these yeah. huge fights and so on. You know, obviously I've yeah. talked a little bit about the the process of adaptation, but to realise yeah. there is still you know stuff in there more personal or again more allegorical that makes yeah. it even richer. And the the last yeah. thing I'll say is, I mean, like what a score, you know, like I, there's so much yeah, that happens in the yeah. music of this film. Um, yeah. Howard Shaw, I think, just absolutely nailed it. You know, when when the little tracks come on and there's even little yeah. moments like, uh, again, when Fr Sam and Frodo are going up Mount Doom and you get that little pan pipes of the Shire music and you yeah, haven't heard yeah, that for yeah. so, yeah, so been, long. You haven't heard that. Yeah, exactly. It almost sounds like a funeral procession. <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, wow, like these guys are really doing this, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's incredible. The score is fantastic. How you um, can go from pan pipes to like, Someone using chains in an orchestra yeah. to get that, you know, clanging yeah. noise. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but then even beyond like the sound, also like the cinematics, like the um, the sweeping scenes of like Middle Earth, which obviously are like yeah. planes of like New Zealand. And I don't know, every time I saw one of those scenes, I kept getting this sense of like, okay, this is happening on such a massive scale, you know? And despite the bigness of it, there's also like an intimacy and a smallness to it as yeah. well because it's almost like yes, everything yeah. is so interconnected. But I guess maybe for me, just a physical smallness of it that like you're looking at all of this from the perspective of really small people <laughs> you know who are <laughs> like it's like what sam said at the beginning like if i take this step that's the furthest from home. that's the furthest i've ever gone from home yeah 
And when yeah. they go back and they realise that they've been through too much to go back to that innocent that, that smallness, town. yeah. You know, in a well, way, Frodo yeah. had it easy by going off to the immortal lands because yeah. he doesn't have to live. Live with it. <laughs> yeah, like the rest of them kind of have to live with this sense of something much bigger than them that they've you've yes. seen it and yeah. so Sam's lucky yeah. to have a child yeah. and a family to yeah. focus on yeah, yeah. Um, it is all about the human I mean, stories because if you can't do the human stories well the epic is, no one is hollow somehow they managed to find this perfect balance yeah. of the scope of it and I think also it came at a time when the ability to do those things was just about there the mixture of kind of miniatures and CGI yeah. and you know it, it, yeah. you you now could realize this world in a way that you just could not have done beyond animation and I just yeah. think they managed to pitch that so well in a way that just other epic fantasies that followed in its wake just didn't really achieve yeah but it was I still think Lord of like the Rings is too good to compare to anyone it's else re- fairly it's, it's really really difficult because even when you're thinking about something that has that sense of scale like the only thing I can think of that managed to pull off that thing about the scale and the intimacy in the same way is something that we reviewed earlier which was Dune yeah yeah Dune yes that's Dune. what it's getting Dune, compared Dune to Dune did that very well yeah. like because most other things didn't like Dune you could get like this scale that there's something massive mm. happening in this world, but at the same time, it's still a very human story. It's about someone, and you care about that person, but you understand this person as being one small thing in this really massive thing, and then this entire massive thing happening behind them, and that really puts everything into context. But it's still around, so it's still about someone, you know. And that's to me for stories with this kind of lore. That for me is good storytelling. I think, like, Lord of the Rings for me was one of the first things where you could zoom out massively yes. and zoom, zoom in, in. Yeah. and it's still a beautiful yes. thing to look at. that's what I mean. It's like, on either scale, it works. Yeah. I don't know whether we, whether we, as in, like, how old we are now, will ever feel that sense of you know, like being captured by a film or entranced by a film again of that of this scale. and Or it may never happen at all. You know, this maybe it was just a, a really happy confluence of things that generated, the cre- sorry, yeah. that created this film. You can't even put it down to the filmmakers to some extent. I mean, no, because really. you know, you had a similar set of people ended up in that other trilogy, <laughs> The mm. Hobbit, mm-hmm. and look what a mess mm. that was. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I think, just, like you said, it was just a happy confluence of things and. I mean, if nothing else, I'll just say we were we were fortunate to have seen it in our lifetime. Yeah, and it was the earliest time that sort of thing could happen. Like as soon as it was technologically possible, yeah, they did it perfectly, yeah. and they did it perfectly three times. Yeah. There's very few trilogies, yeah. that are satisfying all the way yeah. through. But I think it was also trying to deal with things creatively. Like you know, there yeah. were certain things still not possible. Yes, it yeah. was at the forefront, but they had to rely upon. And again, this is where the beauty of New Zealand comes in. It's like they have to rely upon that country's sort of ethereal looking. You know, it's it's good lookingness. Yeah. If that's the right word. Or it's be- It's natural beauty. Sorry. Yeah. And where where in the Hobbit, it just seemed like so much of it was just CGI. Yeah, just, it yeah. just seemed to be like backdrops with green screens and so on. Yeah, it was just such yeah. a such a shame. It had not been thought through. Yeah. yeah, so this is all in line for everyone watching The Rings of Power. Hopefully it lives up to the hype. If it doesn't, well, it will go down the path of many other films that were hyped up unnecessarily and we didn't really get anything out of them. I mean, <coughs> you know, <coughs> in Game of Thrones. But, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if I could do my last thought, it would be that 
this movie just made it a little bit easier to tell for guys to tell their mates that they cared about them. Just that like unashamedly tenderness between Sam and Frodo that you know yeah, a lot of homophobic jokes and all that sort of thing that people did afterwards but just to have like one guy tell another guy how much he meant to him you still don't often see that and to kind of yeah have it out there on like one of the biggest films of the year kind of you know made it easy to consider just kind of being a little bit vulnerable just saying hey mate you mean um, yeah, to me? I, I think that's impressed. such a good point yeah yeah I'm still impressed that straight men needed permission from hobbits, but you know it's fine. Um, <laughs> y'all are sad. I I think it. I I agree with you, Fab. I think it's really. There's a lot of kind of male bonding. There's a lot of you know like tenderness in the film between yeah, lots know, of different right. men. There's yeah. a lot of hugging in this film. Exactly, and yeah, yeah I know. I'm just being sassy for and no that reason. Bit because... where he holds no, hands, I know, I know. out that like Ian McKellen was like, by the way, Sam holds. Frodo's hands and fans will be looking out for that and he did that in the film because Ian McCann was eagle-eyed checking up on all the scenes and also his gay rights yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> the man is like the man is the living embodiment of gay rights so <laughs> and, look it's fine to be gay okay straight men it's fine to be gay and also it's fine to kind of be supportive with it's your mates and tell you how to you be gay. feel Okay, so if you're scared, people will think you're gay. I give you permission. It's fine to be gay. Okay, <laughs> so join us next week. <laughs> We're going to be reviewing. That was some intense else. whispering right there. <laughs> that was my um, ASMR. That's, that's like something out of that's like Galadriel. <laughs> <laughs> so join us next. <laughs> join us next week. Or oh, whenever else, or oh, whenever the next episode is coming out, Jesus Christ. Farewell! <laughs> Tis the end of all things. <laughs> uh, shut up. <laughs>